Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Shamelessly Unapologetic with me, your host, Alana Pinsky. So we are back with guests. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode of introducing season three. I'm so excited for this season. I cannot say that enough. So our first guest of season three is EJ Machiavello, and she's actually a friend of mine, and we also work together at the same company where we do part-time career mentoring. She is an ex-meta technical recruiter, and so her and I have been wanting to do an episode together, and so I was thinking, okay, what can we talk about on the podcast? And I thought of the perfect idea, and what better way to talk about all the cringe that you see on LinkedIn and how some people on there are so chronically online that it's absolutely ridiculous. And so we could not have had more fun on this episode just really making fun of how ridiculous people sound because they're so chronically online. We also talked a little bit more about like our experiences in the job market right now, how it's really hard for recruiters especially because recruiting jobs are so limited at the moment and we just had a really fun conversation and I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. We talked about a lot of awesome things and I think you guys could probably relate to it especially if you're over the same bullshit that everyone is seeing on LinkedIn. It's really bad out there so with that let's go ahead and get into this episode. Hello, EJ. Welcome to Shamelessly Unapologetic. Woo! First guest of season three. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so happy it's Friday and super happy to be doing this with you, especially for your comeback. (laughs) Yes. Oh, gosh. Like, what a crazy year it's already been. We've just started 2023 and... What better way to kick off the new year with losing our jobs? (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. I hated that. That was terrible. And yeah, I feel like 2023 has started in a really weird way. I know. Definitely not what I anticipated whatsoever. So for those who are listening, we are both ex-Mang recruiters, formerly Fang, But yeah, so it's been a really rocky ride in the tech space. So obviously, by the time this episode is out, it will have been two months since I've been laid off and a couple more months since EJ's been laid off. (laughs) But if anyone is not aware, layoffs have been very, very bad in the tech space. And it's just getting worse and worse. Like, did you hear that Google laid off 12,000 people this morning? Yeah, it's so sad. And the numbers are insane. I remember telling somebody else, they were like, hey, I think I misheard you. Did you say Meta laid off a 1000 people? I was I was like, No, I said 11,000 people like they couldn't comprehend that number because it's so big. And then fast forward, Amazon is laying off like 18,000 people. That's those numbers are insane to me. I still I like I can't comprehend it in my in my head. No, neither can I. It's a lot of people. And what drives me mad is that 
People who already work at companies like Meta and Amazon will say, well, that's not that big of a number considering that we have over 300K employees. And okay, must be nice to know that you're going to be one of the small percentage to keep their job. Like, fuck you for saying that. Like, I just don't like it when people say stuff like that because 18,000 and 11,000 and 12,000 is still a really big number. Even if the company is really big, like that's still a big number. And it's definitely going to be a big number to outsiders who work at companies that are much smaller than our companies. And it's like, check your privilege, please. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree more. Like, it doesn't matter how many people you have in your in your whole company. 18,000, 11,000 is still a huge number. <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. So... With this episode, EJ and I, we are going to be talking about like chronically online takes from LinkedIn since we're both recruiters and we just see so much bullshit on LinkedIn and it's a very comical place. But before we get into that segment of the show, um, EJ, I'd love it if you would tell everyone just a little bit about yourself first before we kind of get into that segment. Yeah, sounds good. So I've been recruiting for the past... 10 plus years now. I don't even want to say exactly how many. (laughs) Um, I've always loved being in the people business side of things. I love connecting with people. And that's what really led me to recruiting. So I've held positions everywhere from being a sourcer to being a closer to just kind of helping out wearing multiple hats for the startup world. And most recently, After I got my MBA, I came back and was able to land a job at Netflix, recruiting for a lot of the marketing folks, creative marketing teams, and then uh, eventually was able to move into Meta, where I was really working with the emerging talent team uh, for the university program. And yeah, that was such a great experience, something I've never experienced before, (laughs) and I loved it. It was so great to be able to build a strategy for summer internships for people that are just like coming right out of school. Yeah, I've always wanted to explore university recruiting. Um, That has to sound like a really fun role. It's awesome. I mean, you like have dedicated um, schools, right? So you're managing about 70 interns that are coming or new grads. And it's just awesome because you're the one that they trust. You're the one that they come to for any question. They're the ones that you help them solve problems. Like you're the one really guiding them from day one until the end when they either get an offer or they don't. And it's such a good connection. And then you end up building these amazing bonds with everybody that you work with. Did you manage the LA schools since I know you live in LA? I didn't. So what's really interesting is I still don't really know how they separated and like what school, who gets what schools, but I had Northeastern and Purdue. Oh, wow. Yeah. Completely far away. (laughs) Yeah, super. And they were coming. So a lot of them were coming to like the San Francisco campus and some to LA. I had some in New York and Boston as well. Oh, and Seattle, that sounds a ton so of fun. Oh my gosh, a what a fun, what a fun job! Was university recruiting your favorite out of all the other recruiting roles that you've had? I know you mentioned you've done the closing side, where you're probably a client lead. You did the sourcing. Mm-hmm. You've also done full cycle. What's been your favorite, I guess, sect of recruiting or position that you've had within the recruiting space? 
Yeah, to be honest, my favorite favorite has been when me and my sister decided to launch our own boutique agency recruiting. And we were partnering with all sorts of startups from San Francisco and Silicon Beach. And the part that I really love is being able to partner with leadership or co-founders and come up with like the process, right? How are we going to go from A through Z, <laughs> your first hire, who is it going to be your culture, your hiring strategies, like your diversity pipelines, talking about everything. I feel like part of that is so challenging, but it also is so amazing to come together and not only for how do we make your team successful and better, but also from like my perspective, I get to learn so much about new industries and new teams and what's going on. So yeah, selfishly, I guess that's what I really enjoyed because I got to learn a lot. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. And you're still doing the boutique recruiting, right? I have it. I feel like we have always kept it. It's always in the back burner because obviously I was at Netflix. I was at Meta. I couldn't handle more in terms of like actually keeping clients and looking for candidates, but it's always kind of been in the background. Um, and especially with my sister, she actually has two kids now, so she's completely tapped out and she has a full-time job. Sure. So <laughs> there's like no way, but I, I've been approached, um, especially now where I have this kind of free time, I've been approached by some of my older, uh, network and some clients and they have been, saying like, Hey, I do need help with just one role. And so yeah, I was I'm open to obviously helping anybody I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, um, for sure. So this is um, a question that I'm going to ask, we're going to kind of just move away from the last question that I just asked you. But this is a question that I ask every single guest that comes onto my show. So what is the most unapologetic thing about yourself? Being truthful. <laughs> yes. Elaborate, please. I know. I'm like already getting embarrassed because I know it's like a problem sometimes. Sometimes I feel like, yes, I'm very blunt, but I'm being very blunt because I'm trying to be so transparent in, in giving you the advantage or the knowledge that you need, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm just not gonna bullshit you. And if there's something that I have to tell you that's hard, I will tell you it. <laughs> and it's bad, though. People don't like that. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. I mean, I can fully relate to that. And that's literally what like my whole podcast is about is being truthful, saying shit, on your mind with zero shame because you just seriously don't give a shit what people are going to think because you know that you're saying these things for a reason and, and a lot of people really don't like hearing the truth. One thing that I've just noticed over the past year is people really thriving off toxic positivity. They want everything to be positive. And so if you have an opinion that may not sound positive, but you're being brutally honest because you're being real. People really don't like that. And I see so much of it on a LinkedIn. Like I swear, if I see the phrase kindness and empathy one more time on LinkedIn, I'm going to lose my mind. And just so we're clear, there's nothing wrong with being kind and empathic. It's the fact that it's done in the name of toxic positivity that really bothers me. I totally hear you on that. And for me, I mean, I love that you always say 
<laughs> I don't give a shit about what other people think because I really still struggle with that because people take things the wrong way all the time mm -hmm. and that really bothers me because I'm like I'm telling you from a good like from the goodness of my heart I'm not yes. telling you for you to fail like I'm helping you but they just hate you after that <laughs> I know right like I always say yes I'm a bitch but I'm a bitch with good intentions like I will never go out of my way to be purposely rude to somebody just out of nowhere. I mean, sure, I've made some snarky comments to people on LinkedIn, but that's only because that they wrote something snarky. So I'm just going to return that same energy back. So but I would never just be rude to somebody when they're not being rude in the first place. Like I would never do that because I know what it's like for people to just bully you and attack you for no reason. And that's not the kind of person that I am or something that I stand for. But I used to be a people pleaser. I used to be like, oh, you know, kill them with kindness, kill them with kindness. And sometimes I still do that. But at this point, I'm just like, fuck this. I am just going to keep it real to you because I'm tired of putting on an act and being fake because sometimes kindness hasn't gotten me anywhere. That's exactly what I mean. It's never about being fake. That's the worst. If somebody's fake with you, that's like the worst thing you could get out of someone because they're blatantly are leading you the wrong way first of all. And second of all, I really appreciate somebody that builds trust when you just know this person is going to tell you how it is, regardless of how you feel at the end. And yes, disclaimer, like I never want to make anybody feel bad. And I never want them to take it the wrong way. I think like I really struggle with that and, and not in the sense of killing them with kindness or being rude, more in the sense of I know that I'm the bigger person and I'm not trying to cause a reaction. I'm not trying to cause anything, but I still want to feel like I can tell you what I'm really thinking without you flying off the handle. Yeah, and I agree. And you know, another thing that's frustrating is that we as women definitely get treated poorly when we are being honest and people will always say we're being rude or we're being a bitch or we're being bossy or we're being unprofessional with our demeanor whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean and it sucks because like when a woman is just being honest and firm that's what she gets labeled as but god forbid when a man does it it's completely the opposite i mean this was something that i constantly got yelled at when i was working at cerebral because I was just a really honest person and I never meant anything with malicious intent. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I would always get in trouble and people would always take things the wrong way and think that I'm being rude when it's like um, quite the opposite actually. This is just how I talk. This is the sound of my voice and I already hate the way that I sound because I understand that it sounds like it's whiny or it's angry and I really just don't have control over it like that. Like that's how I speak. And it already makes me insecure when I have conversations with people because it's like, oh, they're going to see that I have some sort of tone and they're going to try and tone police me and I just can't fucking stand it. That is terrible. I'm sorry that that's been like a thing you think about. You are so lovely and I love talking to you Aww. and you always have such great advice. Yes. That's crazy that somebody would call you out on their own, on your tone. Like whatever, let people be, you know, we're humans. Like, I, I know. <laughs> and the worst part is that it's come from other women. 
I've experienced quite a bit of like internalized misogyny, especially while working at startups. And this is like another reason as to why I just have retired from the startup world because I just feel like I can't freely express myself. I feel like I have to mask who I am. And I just constantly have to walk around eggshells for other people because I don't want to generalize and say everyone who works at startups is this way. This has just been from my past experiences. So every startup that I've worked at and the people that I've had to deal with are so fucking fragile, especially leadership. If you try to give feedback or if you try to push back on something that leadership says, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. I feel like that's from my own experience. I mean, coming from a Latino culture, being a woman in tech, I like that point resonates with me so much because it doesn't matter if you're in a job situation. Like, I just feel like people have a hard time receiving feedback, period. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I used to be a person who didn't take feedback very well, but that was like when I was in my younger 20s. As I got older and my brain developed more, I knew that a lot of things were not personal and that was something that I, you know, had to learn the hard way is that it's not really always about you. Now, sometimes feedback will confuse me because it's like if I'm getting negative feedback, I genuinely want to know like what it is that I did wrong and Mm -hmm. I really need that evidence or if like someone makes an accusation against me and that's the kind of feedback that they're giving to me or they're forming it in as a way of feedback. I try my best to not get defensive, but I definitely want to defend myself or explain myself to why I may have done something a certain way in hopes that they can understand like my side of the story. I worked at Cerebral and Flyer. My boss would come to me with a couple of accusations regarding me and like things that I may have said or done. And I would be like really confused because I'm thinking, okay, that definitely didn't happen or they're taking something completely out of context. And I want to to explain like my side of the story so it all makes sense and I feel like it doesn't matter what my side of the story is and when I got fired from Cerebral people like betrayed me and made up lies about me or threw me under the bus for something that I never even did and when I would ask my boss for like supporting evidence and what was said or done she couldn't give it to me. And that was really frustrating because you're going to give me feedback. You know, I need to know what it is. So if it's something that I did where I wronged somebody, like obviously I want to improve to make sure it doesn't happen again. But when that's not given to me, you can't expect me to improve and change because apparently it was just one mistake after the other after the other. And it was frustrating. I just felt like, okay, no matter what I say and do, I'm always going to get in trouble at this company. And that was really fucking frustrating. What else happened at that company? God, like, you know, I could go off on a whole tangent about Cerebral and like what a god awful company that was. But people like make up lies about you and nobody wants to believe you. It's really, really frustrating. And that leaves you feeling very powerless. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you went through that because that right there says their leadership are not good people managers. The fact that one, they couldn't provide any evidence when you needed it. Two, it sounds like they didn't really care to listen to what you were saying. And I don't know, for me, I really feel like a leader needs to be empathetic. 
like, yes, you can deliver feedback, but also you need to be there to listen and to understand the other person's point of view as well. Even if you don't agree, like agree to disagree, but as a leader, you should be empathetic enough to listen to how someone else is feeling because that's also valid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the worst things about this whole situation was the people who had complaints about me just went straight to my boss and tattled on me. They couldn't come to me and confront me because it's like, if someone has a problem with me, I want you to be able to comfortably approach me. And the excuse at Cerebral was, well, not everyone's comfortable with confrontation. So that's why they go to the boss. And it's like, yeah, I understand that confrontation is uncomfortable. But this is called being an adult. You have to grow up. I'm sorry. If you're not comfortable with confronting people, grow up. This is a people skill that you have to develop. I'm sorry. Confrontation is a people skill. I know it's uncomfortable. But I promise you, if you don't confront others, you're also hurting the person on the other side by not talking to them directly. And you don't understand like how you could really mess up someone's life by not confronting them because they're not going to know that they did you wrong. The people who would make complaints about me and I got names of who complained, I never got to like make it right or have a conversation with somebody. And you know, that's not fair. It's like if someone has a problem with me, you know, I hate it when people have problems with me, I want to be able to talk it out and to see like, how can we resolve this and move forward and just hear our sides of the story. But when you tattle on me, and you don't give me a chance to explain myself, and you just want to get me in trouble or make up lies to get me fired and attack my character that I have a fucking issue with. I know that sounds awful. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. And I couldn't agree with you more. I absolutely I'm gonna say hate. I know it's a strong word. But I absolutely hate when people have the cop out answer. Oh, I don't like conflict. Like it doesn't need to be a conflict. It can be a conversation where you say, Hey, I interpreted this wrong. Is this the way you meant it? You know, you know, and this happens across everything. Like think outside of work too. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know if this has happened to you, but like, even with guys, when you try to date and you have to have a tough conversation about, hey, this happened, they rather ghost you and not have the conversation. And to me, I'm just like, grow up. Like, that's so immature. You can't have a conversation. You can't express your feelings. You can't say, this is how I would want you to improve on it. It blows my mind, honestly. So you you definitely like, oh my god, I understand (laughs) that so much. And I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's definitely very common in dating. Or if you are dating someone and you confront your partner, it's going to really open them up to getting defensive and it can create the issue even worse than what it was before. Or if you have a good partner, you know, they'll be willing to listen and validate your feelings and, you know, work on it to do better. It it could go different ways. But yeah, no, I mean, ghosting is just a cowardly thing in general because people don't want to deal with the conflict and they're like, I'm just going to avoid the conversation. And that hurts people. Could you be any more selfish? Exactly. But I feel the same way when like there are some leaderships that, you know, people in leadership positions that are not ghosting you, but it kind of feels the same. They're not giving you the right opportunity to make things better. They're just telling you this is wrong, not explaining it well, not letting you actually talk and try to resolve, not 
not giving that opportunity, I feel like takes a lot away from a person and like what they need to feel supported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, the best part of like what happened with me at Cerebral with my boss is that she got fired two months after she fired me. And I was like, Haha, karma, middle fingers to you. So that was like the best news that I could have possibly gotten. And oh my God, she even tried to follow me on TikTok like the day that she got fired. And I'm like, that's a hard block from me. (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? Because when I first met my boss, she was like, Alana, I think you are so awesome. But she also admitted to like stalking my my social media. And I'm like, okay, that's fucking weird. And I remember I made like skits about conversations I had with candidates that weren't even situations from cerebral. Again, she like jumped to accusations and said like, you need to be careful with what videos you make on social media regarding conversations that you have with candidates. And I said, okay, these were conversations that happened from two or three years ago at different companies. Like none of these are from cerebral and she's like well you never know like what goes viral and people could and I'm like personally I don't give a shit if candidates from two years ago remember that conversation they feel embarrassed like happened years ago and something that like was flagged on my performance evaluations that I was inappropriate on social media I'm like excuse me I didn't do anything wrong on social media regarding my image for cerebral told you these were conversations that I had for my first recruiting job. You have Mm got to be out of your fucking mind. Just to play devil's advocate, right? Like if somebody were to sue, they could say something about you and then the company would get in trouble. Like Cerebral doesn't own what you do. No. You're still your own person. So that argument doesn't even make sense to me. How could they tell you don't do this on social media with your own experience outside of what you're even doing now? Yeah. It was just a really stupid conversation that I had with her. I just felt like she was fake. It's like the same thing with LinkedIn, right? Like just speaking of LinkedIn and like how we're going to get into that. LinkedIn is also social media. People constantly forget that LinkedIn is social media. Your employer doesn't own your social media You don't have to be professional, whatever that means these days, on LinkedIn. You can say whatever you want. I mean, freedom of speech still applies to LinkedIn, and people don't want to hear that at all. So if I want to curse on LinkedIn, I will. And people are like, oh, my God, you're so unprofessional. like, okay, I don't have to be professional 24-7, and you're forgetting that this is a social media platform. And be like, no, it's a professional networking platform. Like, there's networking, but you have to understand, it doesn't matter. It's still social media. LinkedIn has evolved so much than what it first started. Like, I'm sure you see the argument LinkedIn is in Facebook over and over again. And who are you to police what people can say and do on LinkedIn? Because again, it's social media. It's always the boomers or the older Gen Xers that have something to say. (laughs) That's so funny. I know. I kind of gave up on that argument. I mean, at the same time, yes, you can't control what people say, but I kind of, I am on the side of, Hey, if you're going to write a post about you going on a, I don't know, picnic with your dog this weekend, maybe put that on Facebook. You know, there are people on LinkedIn that are trying to use it to get help, to get jobs, to get more information. So I just feel like that should be the priority. I'm not saying you shouldn't post about you and a picnic with your dog, but 
maybe not <laughs> the core of your content out there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think everything you should say should be personal. But it's like, if right. you want to post something personal every once in a while, and I will do that. Like, there was one time I posted a picture of me at Mount St. Allen's, and that was mm-hmm. kind of as, like, a jab to all the annoying people saying LinkedIn is in Facebook. I'm like, well, I'm going to post a picture of me hiking a mountain or hiking near a mountain because that's what <laughs> I wanted to do. And maybe I was being a little bit petty in that moment. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would say, like, don't use LinkedIn as another Facebook. But if you want to post occasional things every once in a while that isn't related to jobs or companies or whatever, I really don't see an issue with that. Right. That's totally okay. Right. That's that's totally fine. No, I've just seen some weird things, man. Like, uh, somebody that just, like, went into labor. Yes, I'm so happy you have your child. But, like... That picture is intense for LinkedIn. What was the picture? It was like this woman had just delivered her baby. And the baby was like on her chest, like just coming out of the womb. (laughs) It's like too wide. The baby like bloody and stuff. It was. It was great. Okay, yeah. If that that that's a that's a little bit graphic. I mean, childbirth is beautiful, but people also forget how traumatic and graphic it is at the same time. Yeah, and then to see that on LinkedIn when you're like reading about like articles or companies, and then you get hit with that, I think that's weird. That <laughs> I can lie. understand. Yeah, that yeah. If especially if it's graphic, if you're gonna ever post something that graphic on LinkedIn, God forbid, have a trigger warning being like blood and body parts or something on there. I mean, childbirth is beautiful. Like, it's one thing if it was just a regular mom and baby picture where the baby is clean. But yeah, if it's graphic, I I guess I can agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so speaking of LinkedIn, why don't we get into some of the chronically online stuff? I had a couple screenshots that I took, and we can, like, discuss them. And I'll, like, explain, like, why I think this is chronically online, and we can just, like, talk about our opinions. So Mm -hmm. this is a post that I saw a couple weeks ago. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read the parts that I find to be just absolutely fucking ridiculous. And here we go. This person said the systems and process flows they have in place are, and this is, like, basically talking about recruiters, obviously. I mean, when are people not recruiting bashing? So they said recruiters need to put a cap on the number of applicants that it can apply to a job posting. It should be a number that's worked out based on the number of recruiters working to fill that position, considering how many resumes they can review and respond to daily over the timeline of job posting. And then the next part was, there is zero reason to allow over 1,100 candidates to apply to your job posting. This is why candidates don't trust when you say ATS isn't kicking people out. We reviewed the resumes. Nonsense. It would take 200 recruiters to manually review all of these resumes and send response emails. So I'll tell you why I think this is chronically online. For the first part is recruiters need to be fair to applicants when there's too many applicants in the position and they have to cap it so it's fair to everyone. That's chronically online. The other chronically online thing is saying that There's no way that recruiters can review 1,100 resumes, so you have to have 200 people to do that job. I'm sorry, but what the fuck? Tell me you don't know what you're talking about without telling me you don't know what you're talking about. I know. I mean, exactly on that point, I feel like people forget that when there's a job opening, 
people that have zero background in that role will apply for that position. Mm -hmm. I've literally had somebody be like a bank manager, apply for a CMO role. I'm like, (laughs) how? (laughs) And that's what people forget. That's why a lot of people, it is important for a recruiter to actually go through the resumes and see who is applying. Because if it was capped, can you imagine if most of them are people that don't align with what you're actually looking for? And then right? you're actually not going to ever find the right person. Right. And one thing that recruiters will do is if they get, let's say they do get a thousand applicants um, with one of the positions that they're hiring for, they may temporarily close the position just so they can play catch up because yeah, that is an overwhelming number. But people are forgetting that this is a recruiter's job to look through resumes. And another thing is on LinkedIn, you'll see that when you look at a job and I'll say like the number of applicants that applied to this role and people don't realize that is just determining number of clicks. It is not tracking like who actually like applied and submitted an actual application like LinkedIn doesn't have a way of tracking that it's literally how many people clicked on the actual job description when they hit that external apply button and that's what it tracked and people need to ignore that and I Mm -hmm. wish more people knew that I mean not only that but I've never seen it be this competitive being out on the market, seeing LinkedIn. Yes, I understand that you're right. It doesn't like link LinkedIn can't track exactly who actually submits the application versus the people that are just clicking on it. But seeing those numbers is daunting. Even me as a recruiter, when I want to apply to a position and you see like 2000 applications, it's it's a lot. It's heavy. You're, you just feel like there's no point for you to even apply it at, at that point. And, it, and I just feel like we're going through this very specific time because so many people are out in the market looking for a job. So yeah, yeah, maybe it is wrong for me to think that way. But it is very daunting to see such a huge number knowing that thousands of people are getting laid off every single day. It like makes you feel like it's a real number. Yeah. No, and I think that's very valid. I guess for me, because I now know what the actual statistic really means, I just ignore it. Because Mm. I have a really strong hunch that most of those people who are applying, even if 2000 people did apply to that job, I am going to feel pretty confident that most of those people are not going to be qualified. And that's something that I have to tell myself. Let's say it's a recruiting job, right? And all the applicants are recruiters. Then yes, if I were to know that information, then I would say, okay, I'm not going to fucking bother because I don't have the energy for that competition. I only have four years of recruiting experience. You have over 10. So if I found out that like most of the applicants were recruiters who had at least like seven to 10 years of experience when I have four, I'm not going to fucking bother. Like there's just no way I can compete. Absolutely no way. But I don't know that information for sure. But at least I can know that a lot of those people that do apply to those jobs are probably not recruiters. I really can say that with full confidence because it's like you and I both review applicants on a daily basis. And I feel like we reject more applications than put them through the first 
round of interviews because going through applicants is also a really depressing thing as recruiters do in our daily lives. Like we want to have healthy pipelines and we get very discouraged when we see most of our applicants are not qualified for the job. Yeah, that's very true. So that's basically my opinions on that So let's go to the next one. This is about the new Harry, um, what is it, like Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle book. Okay, Okay, so this says... So someone quoted something from The Hunger Games, but I'm not going to read that part. It says, is it normal for ex-servicemen to be boasting about how many lives they've taken? I don't think so. Is it normal for someone to be sharing the most private, intimate details of their lives to the whole world? Nope. There's no way him and his team weren't aware of the reaction he'd get. The anger, outrage, attention, and morbid curiosity. This book's release doesn't sit well with me with the no way emoji smokescreen question mark and then it's a picture with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Like what the actual fuck? So apparently it's not normal for people to post private things about them online. I do that on the daily. I feel like more and more people are becoming more open and vulnerable online. I think it's very normal. What about you? I mean, it's kind of like what we said before. I think that our norm is because we talk to so many people on a daily basis, but... I don't think that's normal for a lot of other people to even, as I said, have the tough conversations. I feel like the reason why I do have those skills is because, yes, sometimes I do have to have tough conversations with candidates and negotiations and go back and forth and be empathetic. Like you're, I feel like as recruiters, we're developing a lot of those skills that other people don't get the chance to, right? Like think of engineers, (laughs) Mm-hmm. they never they never have to sure management sure would have to have some tough conversations but I really don't think it's the way that recruiters have conversations yeah I mean and I get what you're saying it may not feel normal for most people but that's because they're just scared I felt like there was a lot of shaming in that post and that doesn't sit well with me I don't like it when people shame others for putting themselves out there to sh- to like overshare And it just really makes me mad when people complain about oversharing online. How is that affecting you personally? It's most likely not affecting you. I think it's dumb that you have an issue with that. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, no, and I love that you share that. To be honest, I think a lot of that also has to do with culture. Like in Spanish culture, you're literally raised to not say anything about yourself or share how you feel or be vulnerable. Like in fact, vulnerability is a weakness, right? So yep, we'll think see it's it a as lot. a weakness. Yeah. I think it goes a lot deeper than, you know, can you post this online or can you not? And on the other side of that, as you said, the shaming piece of it all, I mean, there's so many cultures that are very centered on shaming Like if somebody wants to share something instead of celebrating that, they have a feeling about it. And I don't know specifically how to explain that further, but I know from firsthand experience growing up in a Latino culture that somebody else can be like, if somebody else is like dancing their heart out somewhere, they could be like at the beach just doing their own thing. 
I know I've seen it firsthand. One of like family members will say, what the hell is wrong with that person? Why do they have to be doing that? And I'm like, why does it concern you? Like, yep. let that person be, right? So I just think it goes deeper than what we're like, you know, social media and everything we're talking about. But yeah, that's just kind of like my point of view. And I fully agree with you on that. So this one was so laughable. Oh my God. So this one says, here's why 100% remote work won't work for much longer. Number one, electricity costs, I'm sorry, electricity costs have gone through the roof in all caps. Everyone is scared to turn the heating on. Grads coming into the workforce need to experience office culture or risk never being able to work in wine. Just because we can work remotely doesn't mean we should. And actually, I think a lot of people's entirely work from home bubbles are about to burst. So apparently working from home means that people don't want to turn their heat on and that their electric bills have gone up and that grads won't be able to understand the workforce if they're never in an office. That is honestly one of the most chronically online things I've ever seen on LinkedIn. Your thoughts? (laughs) I don't even know where to start with that one. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) First of all, I've worked remotely for years at this point. And I do not want to go back into an office. I think that office politics suck. I feel like people are mean a lot of the times. Uh I feel like you waste so much time having meetings and just like talking to people, catching up. I also, I mean, I'm in LA, like driving anywhere takes over an hour. Oh gosh, I can't imagine. In the chaos out on the roads, that scene versus you waking up, making yourself a cup of coffee, maybe walking your dog and being ready to work is such a different motivator. It's exhausting too. Yeah. I remember when I had my first recruiting job, it was in office. And when I was also preparing for a bikini competition at that time, this was in 2019, there were some days where I would have to go to the gym in the morning to work out. And Mm -hmm. I would literally have to set my alarm for four in the fucking morning And I had like a whole morning routine that I had to go through. And typically I would get out the door around like 6.15 to head to the gym. And thankfully, like I lived right off one of the light rail trains that would take me to my gym in 15 minutes. It was really great. I lived in a really great area for public transportation. And you're probably thinking, well, like, well, if I set my alarm for four, why am I leaving at like 6 or 6.15? And that's because, well, I hit snooze a couple of times. So I'm not automatically getting out of bed. Right when my alarm goes off, I go to the bathroom, I feed the cat, I have to make breakfast, I have to eat breakfast, I have to quickly pack my bags. Sometimes I did it the night before to save time, but that wasn't always the case. And I also had to allot time for my commute, and typically I would get into the gym around like 7 or maybe a little bit before 7. I would work out for about an hour, an hour and a half. I had to shower and get ready at the gym. That also takes time. And then I would commute to work and get to the office around 9 a.m. I had a whole day before my fucking day even started. So exhausting. And so thankfully, my commute would be shortened a little bit if I was going to if I was coming from the gym. And then, yes, Mm -hmm. that meant like I could go back home and then enjoy the rest of my evening. 
But if I didn't go to the gym in the morning, it would take me about 40 minutes to commute to my office by train. And then um, I would have to go to the gym right after work. And then I wouldn't be getting home till like 9 or 9.30 at night. And I'd be fucking pooped. My quality of life was so terrible when I was working office jobs. And I actually loved my coworkers at my first recruiting job. I hated management. That's a whole nother story for another day. But it was just awful. And so ever since I started working remotely, and I was afraid about having a remote job because I thought I was going to get serious cabin fever and hate life. And that's been quite the opposite. I actually love mm-hmm. having my own freedom to be at home and to relax and just yeah. it's just more comfortable for me. Oh my god, everything you just said gave me so many triggers about remembering that like running late or making sure you make it to the gym or making sure you're packing your food or you know, you can't leave the office too late because you'll hit rush hour. I hate that. I never want to think about that and I hope I never have to do it again. So people that are saying that remote is not going to work like honestly I feel like the your life quality does go down a lot yeah and if people who are also like so against remote culture are probably the ones who have most likely a shitty work culture at their own company yeah and not only that like I don't want to be mean but it sounds like if you are not happy about having the freedoms of going to the gym in the morning and then being able to have breakfast like something as simple as that or having time for yourself in the morning when you're not driving frantically to work like it sounds like you're not enjoying your life that much maybe you should do other things to make it like make your own (laughs) life more enjoyable I know like when I was commuting to a job I felt like my only me time during the day was that either 40 commute 40 minute commute on the muni train to my job where I could just sit on a chair if I was lucky enough to even get a chair because it was literally packed with it was literally Mm -hmm. sardine packed on the trains usually in the morning or I'd be at the gym that was sadly like my me time and that's not how I want to use my me time (laughs) yeah I mean more and more I've been understanding okay maybe hybrid but I mean, ideally for me, I would love to be remote forever, but I know some people have hesitations around that. Okay, I get it. But going back to an office the whole, like 100% of my time, I never again, I can't. Your life is so different and my life is so much more valuable than just having, as you said, the 40 minutes commute or the hour commute. And then at night you have like two more hours to yourself, then you have dinner and then you're exhausted. I know, exactly. You know, more power to people who want to go to the office or they want to be hybrid. There's nothing wrong with that. But please respect people who do want to work remotely because, again, it doesn't affect you. And it also says a lot about you and your work culture if you're shaming remote work and thinking that office work is the only way to effectively run a company because that's bullshit. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) I have two more here. So... Second to last thing. So the actual post of this conversation is not the chronically online take, it's the comment. But let me read the post for the context. 
So this is written by a recruiter. So it says, I'm all for anyone making a living by sharing their knowledge and expertise. But when you spread nonsense to market yourself and your services, that is wrong. I personally know and I am connected on here with many talented recruiters, HR professionals and hiring managers who want to help people find their next role. We know there can be biases in the hiring process, but to make a blanket statement saying LinkedIn is a huge no for job seekers is a bit of an odd thing to say. Many of my recruiter colleagues will encourage you to interact with them if you do it right. So basically with this post, they took a screenshot of a comment that was, I guess, made on someone else's post. So that's what they are responding to. So this is the screenshot. And the screenshot is the chronically online thing. So and this, of course, was written by a career coach and a quote unquote bestselling author. Don't think that the green batter matters on LinkedIn. I don't even think folks should be applying via LinkedIn or connecting with recruiters on LinkedIn. This opens them up for scrutiny and judgment before they're even screened. LinkedIn's a huge no for job for job seekers. So basically the chronically online take is don't use LinkedIn to find a job because it opens you up to scrutiny and judgment. How are you going to find a job? <laughs> it's like the same thing saying that using the green banner makes you desperate. That's also like another chronically online thing that I've seen and heard. But I'm like so tired of that conversation. That was so weird. I don't even know how you get to the point where you have to tell others this will make you look desperate. How? There's thousands of people getting laid off. You're not desperate. This is what's actually happening in the market you are open to work because you've just been laid off. Like how, <laughs> please explain this to me. <laughs> I know. I got nothing. I really have nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, you and I are victims of it right now and it's frustrating. I mean, mine is very fresh. Like mine just happened literally two days ago, but it doesn't matter because now I'm unemployed and... You know, there will be in a couple of months, I'm not going to know how to pay my rent. So fuck you for thinking that if anyone thinks that, you know, they're they're an awful person. I mean, are you ashamed of putting your open to work? Like, what is the shameful part of it? I'm not ashamed at all. I've done it before and I'll do it again. It makes you more approachable for recruiters. Because they know that you're going to be more responsive to reply to emails. Exactly. Stupid logic. So here's the last one. This was written by someone with the title saying that they're a CEO, most likely career coach. But anyway, so (laughs) they said, resumes are fucking dumb. There, I said it. Why do we still rely on outdated PDFs to tell us about someone? They're 2D versions of multi-dimensional people and make people seem robotic when they are not. How much can you find Mm -hmm. out from two to four line items on paper? Besides, everyone relies on ATS software for basic screening. False. Well, I mean, in terms of like the screening part, it meaning that it's going to be automatic. Um, So the chances that your resume won't even get seen by a human are high. If you try landing a job, you're much better off reaching to the hiring managers with personalized emails, connecting with the company employees on LinkedIn, and creating a video application. And if you're a business owner looking to hire, go to LinkedIn and recruit a few employees. Reach out to your personal network and hire from within the company instead of sorting through hundreds of resumes that all look the same. Oh my fucking God. Like, where do I even start with this? First of all, resumes will never be outdated. Resumes literally 
tell you if you are at least meeting the bare minimum qualifications for a job. Interviews give you the chance to explain your resume in more context. How the fuck are we supposed to screen people and like make sure you're qualified? We're not going to just take your word for it that you're qualified. (laughs) Applications can't be complete without a resume. We're not going to just accept every single person without a resume and just assume you're qualified for the job. Like that is the most moronic thing I've ever heard. Resumes are outdated and they're not the way to hire people. That's the chronically online take. And then also with the misinformation about the ATS. I mean, this isn't necessarily, well, actually, I kind of want to say it's chronically online because it's been spread on the internet for years and years and people keep seeing it on the internet. So they just assume that it's true. So I guess that could be chronically online. But for anyone who's listening, the ATS does not screen out your resume. It's illegal. It's against OFCCP guidelines and EEOC guidelines. It's illegal. What more do you want from us when recruiters say this is a myth? Yeah. Oh my god, that point. I hate that point. I feel like me and you talk about that all the time. And Mm -hmm. yes, an ATS will not reject your resume. It's that clear. A recruiter will. (laughs) And the thing that stood out to me about the one post you just read, honestly, I mean, yes, the points that you made 100%, I'm like, so ridiculous. But The fact that he's basically, he or she is basically saying, go around the recruiter, just go through the hiring manager. Like, this person does not understand how teams work internally. Yep. There's a process. There's a reason why there's a recruiter. There's a reason why the hiring manager is not doing the job of a recruiter. Exactly. People don't understand that. We have a hiring process. If you don't respect that process then we're probably not the company for you. Some people even complain about doing an assessment. It's like, I'm sorry, if you were a software engineer and you refuse to take a coding assessment and expect us to take your word for it, I'm sorry, can't trust you that you're going to do the job right. We have to evaluate you fairly. Like, it depends on the company. Some companies will have you code online. But like, even then, Mm -hmm. some people complain that they don't want their skills being tested live. And it's like, well, how the fuck are we supposed to know that you can code if you won't prove it to us? It's ridiculous. Exactly. I know. That's, I mean, I recently heard that from someone else, actually, that they think that recruiters are like blocking their their experience like they just want to get to the to the people that matter the hiring manager we're not there to block your candidacy like we're there to help you right exactly i don't don't get it i mean yes like i would say there's maybe a small portion of gatekeeping in terms of like making sure that you meet the bare minimum for the role. And that's why you have a call with us. We just want to make sure that you meet the bare minimum qualifications Mm -hmm. and that will determine if we move you forward or not. But if you are being so obvious in your interview and you can't communicate a rational thought or talk about your background effectively, then we're not going to be convinced that you meet this. Yeah. Exactly. The only thing I will add that he he or she, the, the person doing the post made somewhat of a good point. I do think that there should be more options to maybe submit a video or maybe submit like who you are. Because yes, there is a lot of things that the resume will not show. 
right? Like, yes, there's like bullet points. There's certain bullet points. But I mean, even us in this conversation, like you can free flow, you can say you can like send somebody's personality, you can learn just a bit more. So I guess that's the only point that I kind of do agree with where I'm like, there should be more options to submit like who you are. I don't agree about submitting a video. I just think it opens people up for bias and um, profiling. But I think, again, that's what the interview is for, for your personality to shine. Mm-hmm. Or if you really want to evaluate someone's personality, you can always add stupid questions onto the application that people fill them out or require a cover letter. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, expect your volume of applicants to go down because nobody wants to write a cover letter anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no, I totally get your point about bias, but just you know, to play devil, devil's advocate. I'm sure you've seen recruiters and hiring managers be biased on a resume as well. So yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. It's like everywhere. Bias is everywhere. It is everywhere. So yeah, yeah, those are all the chronically online takes that I have. And I know we're like just coming up here on time. The last question that I wanted to ask you, EJ, is what advice would you give to candidates who have recently been laid off? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. It's a tough one. Because <laughs> we're like all in the same boat. Right? right? <laughs> I mean, we can talk about what we're doing right now, but I'd love to hear your take as a recruiter, like assuming that you haven't been laid off. Yeah. My biggest advice would be, and this one is hard to do, like easier said than done. My biggest advice is just take at least two days for yourself. I know the news is terrible, but you jumping right back into searching and frantically trying to find something and kind of feeling desperate about it will lead you to worse results than you actually gathering yourself, feeling motivated again, feeling okay about what's happening, and then try to find a job at that point. So I guess all to say, be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself during these crazy freaking times. I really agree with that. I think the most important thing is like the week that you get laid off or the day that you get laid off, do not do anything for the rest of the day unless you are going to find a way to distract yourself from getting laid off. I remember when I got laid off two days ago. I drank a beer and I went to my apartment's hot tub and that was kind of what I had to do. I think self-care is going to be a really, really important thing when it comes to dealing with layoffs. I would say, you know, wait a few days or wait the following week to start your job search. I Mm -hmm. probably won't even touch my resume for maybe another two weeks or so. Like one thing that I recently announced yesterday on my own LinkedIn page is that I'm actually not motivated to look right now. There are going to be people Mm -hmm. out. I feel like a lot of recruiters right now are not motivated to look because we know how bad the competition is right now. I want to say at least maybe 50,000 recruiter. It's probably even more more than that at this point. But we'll just say I think 50,000 recruiters have been laid off since maybe April 2022. And some of them still haven't found work since then. It's just like, I don't want to compete against recruiters who have more experience than me, as I stated earlier. That's just not good for my mental health. It's very discouraging. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't want to deal with it. I'm honestly just, right now, I'm just going to let opportunities come to me. I'm just going to rely on people sliding in my DMs. 
I probably will wait a few months to look and see if the market gets any better because I will say I am very fortunate for my severance package because that actually will tie me over until maybe May. So mm-hmm. I will be okay up until then. And then I can always still qualify for unemployment. And then of course, I still have the part time job that both you and I work at. And then I have my content where I make money from that as well. Like I recently started getting paid for making Instagram reels. So I can get at least like an extra thousand dollars from making reels, which is great. So yeah, I mean, there are are other sources of income. I would also encourage people to see if there are any things you can do to have other sources of income in the meantime. This is a good time to work on your passion projects if you have any. See if you can monetize those as well. Not everything needs to be monetized, but if you really do need money, it's a possibility. But yeah, I agree. Being kind to yourself, being patient with yourself is really important. And don't feel like you have to sell yourself to the job search and the job market right now, because that will just make you even more unhappy. Yeah. And I love that. I love everything you said. That's so true about feeling unmotivated. It's awful. It's a bad feeling. And I guess my heart just goes out to all the people that are not in this, you know, we're very lucky to have severance. And we're very lucky to have, you know, that we can wait it out until May. And I guess just my heart goes out to people that can't that won't be able to to have that luxury. And that sucks. And that's why this is so hard to talk about. Because even in like, you know, taking care of yourself, maybe taking some steps back. I know some of the my friends at Meta were like, hey, why don't we just like go travel for a month? And a lot of people are doing that, right? Like, there's not a lot of stuff we can do at this moment. But even having that luxury of I'm going to take off and I'm just going to travel like only a few can do. And and yeah, just my heart goes out to people that feel like they can't do that. And it sucks. It really sucks. I know. I I may consider traveling. It just really depends on like, you know, some other financial expenses I have because, yeah, I'll have that time mm-hmm. to do that. Um, if I do travel, it may not be be very far. I mean, one of my goals this year is to go to Australia and New Zealand, but that probably will go towards like the end of the year because that's a really expensive trip. And that would that's going to take a lot of days to do, but I feel like I may want to consider going now because the weather will be better if I go there now cuz technically it's summer for them and it's winter for mm-hmm. us, so it'll be warmer there, but I don't know what the prices are like cuz that's like a 15-day trip. Yeah. I mean, and it's always, it's always like the chicken before the egg because so many of my friends post the question, you have the time now, why wouldn't you travel? And it's true. Yeah. You won't get this time again. Yeah. And then the other frustrating thing is some people don't even get the luxury to travel. Like I haven't been able to travel since, like travel to at least another country since 2011. So when I went to Mexico on Christmas Eve, I was just there for a day because I, I went to San Diego for a few days. And so San Diego is basically right on the border. And I was like, yeah. why the fuck not go to Mexico? I literally walked into the country. That was like the coolest experience of my life. And to just like be at the actual border was really awesome. And you know, getting out of the country in 2022 was not on my bingo card, but I'm glad I got to make it happen. It was much needed. And so that was really easy for me to do because just walking into the country is free. And 
I, you know, just had my passport. I showed it to them. It was like the easiest thing I ever did. And I was glad I also went on Christmas Eve because there wasn't a lot of foot traffic. So Mm -hmm. getting back into the country was also shockingly easy as well. Normally it's not. You like are standing in that line for hours. And for me, it was so easy. So I'm glad I did it when I did. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really good experience too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you would have gotten a kick out of me trying to speak Spanish in TJ. It was hilarious because I don't know Spanish very well. Like I literally had Google Translate. I wrote like a bunch of phrases on my phone on like how to like order food in Spanish how to like yeah. understand certain responses that were being said in Spanish. Like I literally looked up three different ways on how people would compliment my hair. Cause I get compliments on my hair all the time. So if someone wanted to say to me, like, I like your hair, I wanted to at least be reckon, like be able to recognize that, be like, recognize that and be like, Oh my God, gracias. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Stuff like that. But yeah, so yeah. EJ, if people wanted to find you, where can they find you? LinkedIn. Awesome. What's no, your LinkedIn? Yeah, it's EJ Machiavello. And I also have my website actually, ejbranded.com. So. Perfect. And guys, I yeah. will have those links in the podcast description down below if you want to follow EJ on LinkedIn or check out her website. So with that being said, EJ, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I've really enjoyed having you. And guys, if you ever have an unapologetic experience you ever want to share with me, feel free to email the podcast at shamelesslyunapologeticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at shamelesslyunapologetic. But EJ, again, this conversation has been so, so fun. I know we talked about a lot of stuff and I (laughs) cannot wait to see what the rest of this year brings and hopefully it turns around for the both of us. Yeah, same. This was awesome. Thank you so much for letting me do this. And I'm super excited to see, you know, what happens next for us and how we can continue to work together and help others. Absolutely. Well, y'all, I hope you really enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week with a brand new solo episode. Bye. Bye.